You are listening to Herpes 101, the podcast. Hello and welcome. My name is Richard Mancuso, and you are listening to Episode 7, You Have Just Been Diagnosed with Herpes, Now What? When a person is first diagnosed with herpes, the roller coaster ride of emotions can be overwhelming. After hearing from the doctor, you have herpes, many feel like they are lost and alone. But the truth is, you are not. There's a moment of panic and then a barrage of questions that you ask yourself. Who gave this to me? How did I get this? How do I get rid of it? But before we get to all that, let's take a deep breath, try our best to relax, and allow me to put this into a different kind of perspective. Most people have been made aware of this common virus in grade school during sex ed class. It's a safe bet that many of the facts that you learned have already been forgotten, but the laughter and the jokes remain. We get it. It happens all the time. Kids will be kids, right? Regardless, A lot of this information has changed since those young, carefree days and viewing of scary pictures in the classroom and feeling invincible. But most human beings exposed to this five to six million year old virus are entirely unaware that they have it and rarely see any symptoms or outbreaks. So we're talking approximately six billion people walking around with herpes every single day. The real reason that most will never see evidence of this infection taking place is that most human beings have a significant immune response to the virus, a very favorable immune response to the virus. When I think back to that awkward time in the classroom, the thing I remember the most are the scary pictures. Gonorrhea, syphilis, and even herpes were displayed in a weird and strange fashion. Like, just an easy way to scare you with no guidance or explanation. Definitely not a great way to educate. I mean, I get it. Back when we were kids, adults didn't really want to talk about sex with kids. And I guess I can't really blame them. It can be very awkward, but when we look at our history, it just makes good sense to be able to have these conversations. Now those pictures that they showed, even though they were just trying to scare you into, I don't know, trying to change your your views without any guidance, but those pictures were basically the worst case scenarios. And while it's true that some people can experience these type of symptoms, especially with herpes, These extreme symptoms generally occur within people who have an autoimmune issue or they are immunocompromised in some way. Okay, so let's mention a few facts before we continue. It is estimated that close to 80% of human beings carry the herpes simplex virus. 1-2% to of people with herpes simplex will experience frequent symptoms. This equates to approximately 100-200 to million people Although, I think that number is going to be much higher, uh, based on 
new data and the infections that happen every year and the fact that some people don't even go to the doctor and report that they have herpes. 10% of people who do experience symptoms or outbreaks will generally stop seeing symptoms in about a month. In a nutshell, we can see how this is pretty interesting. It should be self-evident that herpes is pretty much everywhere and according to the scientific data, it's almost impossible to avoid catching herpes. Basically, herpes is an inevitability. Unless, of course, you're going to live on a desert island and never touch another human being again, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anybody's really going to be doing that. Well, maybe a few of you, but... To sum this up, for people who experience chronic symptoms, herpes is a very big deal to them. Still, for people who don't experience symptoms and are unaware that they carry herpes, it's not a big deal. Basically, we have the same virus, but very different personal experiences and perspectives that are simply caused by our immune system's reaction to the virus, or the lack thereof. One other question that comes across your mind is, who gave this to me? This is a complicated question because herpes simplex has the ability to infect a person without a person even knowing it, and most people never see evidence of that infection even taking place. If they do see evidence, the signs are usually very mild like redness or a pimple or even flu-like symptoms, and then these symptoms get ignored or written off as something completely different. This means that a person who may or may not be aware that they carry the virus may have passed it on and did so with no intent whatsoever. Not being mean or malicious, they just, they just didn't know. It is also common for the person who the virus was introduced to that they may or may not experience any symptoms either. And then one day, possibly years from now, the virus emerges and causes a divorce or just completely destroys a current and healthy relationship due to finger pointing of blame. Pretty crazy, right? Now, I know that's a lot of information. And if you're sitting there and you're a person who actually suffers from regular symptoms or this is your first experience and you're in a great deal of pain, it's gonna be hard to hear that most people are doing just fine. Because basically that sucks. I know because I was that person who was getting frequent outbreaks for many, many years. And I know what it's like to find out why is everyone else doing okay except for me? Well, there's a few reasons for that. Obviously, we've discussed it, but I want you to understand that I'm not ignoring the possibility of a person becoming infected from their current partner because that does happen. And I'm sure it still does. But I just wanted to give you the full Monty, so to speak, of both sides of the same coin and to help you understand that other events may or may not have taken place. Okay, so what do you do now? Well, remember that you're not alone. Clearly, billions of people are walking around with this. Some are suffering, some are not, and they're still doing just fine. Now, if you're one of the unfortunate human beings who experience severe symptoms, uh, I, I understand. Believe me, I understand. 
and I understand that your perspective will be very different due to your personal experience. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's your experience, and it's really happening. But I know that hearing many of these facts may not bring you any comfort or any closure to your situation, and I'm sorry for that, because it sucks. I know because I lived it every day for 28 years. But I can tell you that it does get easier, and there are a lot of companies working on better treatments and solutions to fight herpes. And I hold out a great deal of hope for these new technologies, and I believe that relief is in our future. So we just have to hang in there. Okay, so now, let's talk about your diet. Now, we know this is a lot of information, and if you have just been diagnosed, it's going to seem kind of overwhelming. One of the easiest things that a person can do is actually take a look at their diet. Now, even if you're new to this and you've just been diagnosed, this information is going to be beneficial for you. Hopefully, fingers crossed, that you're going to have your one outbreak and then you're never going to see it again. That's the best case scenario. But... If you're one of the unfortunate few of us who end up suffering from frequent outbreaks, one of the easiest things you can do is take a look at your diet. Now, it doesn't really sound kind of that crazy, but I can tell you from experience and from actual scientific data that it's real and that many people find out that the foods that they're eating can actually trigger symptoms. So we're talking about things that you're putting in your body and then all of a sudden you start feeling this tingling sensation and then you're like, uh-oh, I think I'm getting another outbreak. So let's talk about that. When we talk about diet and we talk about herpes, we're talking about two very specific things and they have to do with an amino acids. Lysine and arginine. Now, it doesn't sound that strange, does it? Or maybe it does. There's a lot of science and there's a lot of data that shows that lysine actually acts as an inhibitor and can actually help reduce the virus's ability to reproduce, very similar to taking antivirals. Now, if you're somebody who takes antivirals, this may not be a big deal for you, but antivirals is a whole nother discussion, which I'll have to save for another podcast. <laughs> but I did write an article on it. If you go to askingforafriend.us and click on articles, it is very detailed, perhaps even a little too much. But anyway, I also, if you're interested, there's another article on there about lysine where I go into much more detail than I can go on here. But anyway, I digress. So, when we're looking at foods that you're eating, some of the foods that you would typically avoid are unfortunately foods that are fun. Chocolate, peanut butter, nuts, caffeine, soda, all the things, you know, that are fun. <laughs> I know, it sucks. But here's the thing. A lot of the foods that I just mentioned are very high 
in an amino acid called arginine. And arginine acts as a aggravation to your immune system and the virus, and it allows the virus to emerge more often than it normally would. One of the easiest things that you can do is to go online and do a search on some of your foods. Now, I usually tell people, it sounds kind of silly, but if you get yourself a little notepad, and every day you write down in that notepad what you had to eat for that day. Then at the end of the day, you go online and you type in, I don't know, let's say you had oatmeal for breakfast. You type in how much lysine is in oatmeal or how much arginine is in oatmeal. And then you're gonna see these two numbers. Now, typically when you do a word search like this, you'll see a particular food that you looked up and sometimes they'll even have both. So you can look at the numbers, let's say the number's 500 milligrams and for lysine. And then you look at arginine and it says 400. So by looking at those two numbers, you can see that the product is whatever that product is. I don't know if it's oatmeal or not. I'm just giving you an example. But if you look at those numbers and you see that the food that you're eating is higher in lysine than it is in arginine, you'll be okay for the most part. But if you are eating a lot of foods that are very higher in arginine than they are in lysine, you can see that some of these foods may be what is aggravating and causing your outbreaks. It's really more about a balance or a more higher level of lysine in your diet. Now that doesn't mean go to the store and buy a bunch of pills and go nuts. I don't, I don't recommend doing that. The, the problem is that if you're unaware that you have an underlying kidney issue, you can cause some serious damage. So as always, I suggest that you speak with your physician who has a history of your issues and your ailments, if you have any, and will give you advice on whether you should take it or not. The rest is up to you. I can't tell you what to do, but I would highly suggest doing some research on that. And it may actually benefit you. Now, can you take lysine pills on top of what you're eating? Sure, sure you can. As long as you're doing it safely and you're following directions from your physician, then you should be fine. Now that we've pretty much touched on a few subjects that are going to be important to you, especially if you've just been diagnosed, many people, and myself included at the time I was diagnosed, immediately start thinking about how am I going to date and how am I going to navigate this new minefield that has just been presented to me? Well, I can tell you from past experience that concerning yourself with dating right away after you've been diagnosed, it's probably not a great idea. Again, I can't tell you what to do. I'm not you. Maybe you have a stronger constitution and maybe your acceptance of your uh, situation and your acknowledgement that you have herpes may actually happen quicker than mine did. But I don't know that thinking immediately about your next sexual encounter is going to help you get past it. I'm not saying I'm right. 
but I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that maybe take some time for yourself. Maybe take some time for acceptance. I will, however, give you a couple of points. Now, disclosing to someone in person is going to be something you're going to have to learn, and it may be even difficult. You will find that there's going to be a large amount of people who do, in fact, know what herpes is. And if you do say, hey, listen, you know, um, I got this thing. You know what cold sores are? Yeah, well, it's herpes. And I get it once in a while. You know, I'm not contagious all the time, but there's always a slight possibility I could pass it on. And if we're going to be together, I think it's something that you should know about. Now, that's one way to go about it. I'm sure a few of you are listening to this and saying, there is no way in hell I am going to do that in person. (laughs) And I get it. It's totally fine. I don't think anyone's going to judge you for not being as brave as uh, myself who talks about it publicly or as anyone else who just feels okay with discussing it. You're just not there yet. And within time, you will get there. You will find some acceptance and this won't be a big deal to you. But if it is down the road and you're feeling better about yourself and you're feeling better about your diagnosis and you do decide to go out there and start dating again, I have come up with a disclosure letter that can be sent as a link or you can download it for free and you can send it to somebody. You can send it to a friend, a family member, um, a potential date, or even somebody who you wish to date regularly. It's totally up to you. If you go to my website, askingforafriend.us, and click on articles, you will find two links. The first one is the first part of the letter called To Whom It May Concern, which is a very basic introduction as to what's going on and you explaining to this person that you see value in having this conversation. And with any luck, the person that you're speaking to sees value in what you're doing and being honest with them. The second part of the letter, which is a different link, which is connected to the bottom of the first one, gives the reader more detail on what herpes is, what it's like, and just a few basic facts. I would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. And hopefully, things are going to start getting better for you. I hope you found some value. And I think um, with any luck that you found some hope. And I think, I think you're going to be okay. Because herpes is just the thing that happens. And even though it may feel like it's the end of the world or it's the end of your sex life, it's not. I can tell you it's not. After 30 years of having this, it's definitely not. Now, it may seem kind of strange, but you are going to find some people out there that are very accepting because they have it too. And I can tell you that eventually you're going to disclose to somebody and they're going to be like, Oh, yeah, I have that, too. (laughs) And then hopefully it won't be a big deal. So thank you for listening. 
My name is Richard Mancuso, and this is Herpes 101, the podcast. <laughs>